All right. Good morning, church family. Make some noise if you're excited to be here. Come on. All right. Hey, I think you're a little bit rowdier than the other services, and you're a little bit smaller than the other. So, hey, take that as a compliment. So, hey, I am the pastor of Adult Ministries here at First Colleyville, and uh, man, enjoy what I do. Uh, but as you can see, I'm not the good-looking Pastor Craig. So, uh, he's not here this morning. So, he's currently trekking in Israel. Um, as you know, our last big give, we raised a bunch of money to plant a church in Rosh Pina, Israel. And so, that is where he currently is. In fact, he's trekking through, equipping and training and, and encouraging our uh, church uh, planters there. And then uh, that's what he's currently doing. And he'll be back next Sunday. So if you don't like this Sunday, because I'm here, you can come back next Sunday and see the real deal, Pastor Craig. All right. So uh, you can go and make plans to do that uh, then. Of course, as you know, we've been moving through uh, this series called Leap of Faith, right, where we're looking at people who have demonstrated great faith in the Bible. And so in week one, we talked about kind of this definition of what faith is. And we said faith is rock-solid confidence that God's promises are true. Everybody say faith. faith. All right, perfect. So faith is rock-solid confidence that God's promises are true. And so we walked through that definition in week one. Week two, we jumped in and looked at the life of Enoch and how Enoch walked with God demonstrated faith through his life. And then we looked at uh, the following week at the life of Abel and how Abel came before God and offered a, uh, his heart to God, unlike his brother Cain, who offered a sacrifice. And God was more pleased with the heart than the sacrifice and how Abel demonstrated faith in his worship and the way that he worshiped God. And then last week, we then kind of we're kind of taking into this week was uh, we looked at Noah and how Noah demonstrated great faith in the way that he infiltrated his uh, culture for the kingdom of God. And so we're going to continue this journey where we're going to look at Abraham this week. All right. So we're going to look at Abraham and I know what you're all thinking. You're all kind of giddy in your seats right now thinking Father Abraham had many sons, right? And many sons have Father Abraham, right? So all of you in here who are teachers have been a part of VBS uh, probably are still singing that song even after we stopped. Uh, but I was joking around this last week. I didn't really come to know Jesus until I was 15. And so I really didn't get to know these songs until later in life. And so I still don't even know the entire song. I know just those two parts. Um, but so don't ask me to sing the rest of the song after the, the service. But uh, we're going to look at Abraham. We're going to look at how do we trust God in the waiting. Everybody say waiting. I know that was hard to say, right? We don't like waiting. Like you hear like country songs, I'm waiting on a woman. Right, a lot of times my wife is always like, I'm waiting on you. <laughs> so uh, that song is not really true. It's waiting on a man, waiting on a woman, waiting on a kid, waiting on whatever. Uh, we're waiting on somebody or something to happen. And so we don't like waiting. In fact, our world prides itself around convenience and efficiency. Right, every year there's podcasts, there's books, there's resources, there's everything you can think of and how to make your business, your world, your life better, faster, stronger, and more efficient, right? And so our world is not really learning how to wait. It's really trying to figure out how can we eliminate wait, right? Where instead of trying to go, okay, God, how, how do we help trust you in the way that we're going? How can we just eliminate wait altogether? Um, but just to think about that for a second, eliminate weight, reduce weight to a minimum, that's kind of an illusion, right? And we were faced with this illusion back in 2020 when we were hit with a pandemic, and our whole lives came to a stopping halt and shipments were delayed and, and resources were scarce. And, and we thought that we were, trying, we were doing a good job, like just getting rid of weight. And then God was just like, whoop, 2020, here it comes, you know, and it was just, we go through this pandemic and, and we're like, man, now we're faced with weight all over again. 
And then to make matters worse, we then move forward into 2021 thinking, yeah, baby, we're moving in 2021, we're out of this. And then Snowmageddon. And all the Texans in the, in, the, you know, in, the, in the state of Texas started freaking out. They're like, what is this white stuff on the ground? You know, and we couldn't drive and people were getting in car accidents. And so now we're waiting even more. And then to make matters even worse, you didn't even know about that, that shipping actually happens through ships anymore. You thought that shipping happened through Amazon Prime. Yeah, we still have ships that bring things over into the coast for us, folks. And so we had this big old ship that gets stuck in the canal, blocking up one of the biggest passageways for global shipping. Now, I don't know about you, but God's trying to get our attention, folks. Every time we keep trying to eliminate weight or try to reduce it to something that is just little, it seems like there's something that then hits a pause button and then we're all waiting again. We don't like waiting. We go through these seasons of waiting and we're, we're like, God, why, why are you putting us in this season of waiting? You know, what really struck me about waiting is what it revealed in my own life and the lives of others. Just think about it. Go back to the pandemic. Go back to Snowmageddon, some of those time frames, and think about what was going on in your own life. In those moments of pauses, we were waiting and waiting and waiting to go back to what was normal you know, we begin to see that in relationships and marriages and our personal lives, the busyness of life really was a mask of something that was going on within our hearts that was not right. In fact, when I began to talk with people within our church and we're hearing stories of people within our church, there were people that were going through crises, right? There was people whose relationships were falling apart. Why? Because for so long, the busyness of life had been a mask and it looked like they had it all together. And then there came this moment where all the kids and all the husband and the wife were shoved in a home. And then all that bitterness and all that rage had been building for so long began to come out. Or you're stuck at home and now you're faced with your thoughts and your fears and your worries and your anxieties. And you can't just mask it with busyness. What really struck me about this season is during 2020, when we were talking about the pandemic, I was on a, a Zoom call with a bunch of pastors in Texas. We're all talking about how are you enduring this, this new world and now you're locked up in your home. You know, this sounds really weird. You know, now you can't do church like you used to. Like, how are you going through this? And so we're all sharing about what's going on. And this one pastor hopped on and he said, can I be honest with you? And he's, we're all like, oh yeah, sure, man, go right ahead. And he said, honestly, before the pandemic, I was about to run my life straight off a bridge. Like I was about to just take my whole life, my whole family, everything and just run it right off the bridge, figuratively speaking. I'd been caught up in this fast-paced world, and I was just going and going and going, and, and man, I thought I was making it, but then honestly, when the pandemic hit and everything stopped and paused, I started to realize that there's something wrong with me, that there's something in my heart that needs to be fixed. Now, let's put a pin there for a second. Now, let's say, hey, honestly, the pandemic brought a lot of bad things in people's lives, right? There's been deaths that have been, been had. There's, there's been sicknesses and illnesses. And so I, I want you to hear this loud and clear. I'm not saying that the pandemic was a, was a fantastic thing. There's a lot of uh, suffering that went through, but come back unpinned. This guy said that when he stepped into the pandemic, that it was a time for him to leverage and begin to make some changes in his own life that he wouldn't be able to change if he was just caught up in the business of life. And so he began to realize that really this opportunity, this waiting season that seemed like it was not a good season to be in, really was a great season for him and his life and his family and his ministry. Because see, God wanted to use that as an opportunity to bring change in his life that couldn't have happened if he was just constantly in the cycle of the fast-paced world. You know, I was listening to a podcast 
And this guy, Mark Sayers, he's kind of tied in with this guy named John, uh, John Mark Homer, who wrote the book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, these two guys do a podcast together. Uh, Mark is in Australia. Uh, Mark is in Portland. And they kind of talk about the world and the culture and where it's going. And so I listened to the podcast. This is a really great podcast. And uh, I was listening to it. And Mark said something that I, it really just hit me. And it really goes along with what the pastor was experiencing and what many of us experienced during the pandemic. And it's one thing that he said. He said, disruptions are a catalyst for renewal. That disruptions are a catalyst for renewal. What he means by that is that disruptions like waiting are a catalyst for God to bring renewal in our lives, to bring change into our lives. And you see that with this pastor. This moment, this disruption that he could have said, why was this happening to me? was a moment that he could utilize as an opportunity for God to work on his heart and bring the changes that needed to be changed so that he didn't run his family or his ministry and his entire life off the side of the bridge. See, waiting is a prime opportunity for us uh, to allow God to come in and begin to start a new work in our hearts. And so we're going to see that with Abraham today. Abraham's going to show us how do we trust God in our waiting. Everybody say waiting. Perfect. So you're awake this morning, right? Amen? All right, here we go. So Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10 is where we're going to be. So grab your Bibles, get them out. Here we go. Verse 7. We're actually going to do 7 through 10. Here we go. Uh, By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen. um, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm in Noah. Let's go. Hey, hey, we're doing Abraham, right? So sorry. I was going to do a recap of last week, right? Noah was so good, we're just going to keep doing Noah this week, all right? Does that sound good? Oh, I'm so sorry. Verse 8, those people in the back are like, what are you doing? (laughs) By faith, Abraham, when he was called and obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance, he went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundation, foundations whose uh, architect and builder is God. And then we're going to go ahead and jump down. Verse 17, I promise this is the right one. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises and yet he, he was offering his one and only son. The one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced throughout Isaac. He considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Now, before we go any further and begin to unpack these these verses that we just read, I want us to understand the background of Abraham. Because many of us just think that he just popped out of the womb and was walking with God. That's what we think about a lot of the people in the Bible, that they just walked out and they were perfect. Uh, Because, you know, you hear stories like King David where he walked with God in his youth. And and so we kind of just take that same thing and just kind of apply it to all the different people in the Bible. But Abraham actually didn't go up walking with God. In fact, he spent a lot of his life following a lot of the traditions and the religion of his own family. He grew up in a region called the Year of the Chaldeans, which was Mesopotamia, also known as modern-day Iraq. And these people uh, were known as polytheists, Palu meaning many, Theos meaning God, so they worship many gods. And so we're going to kick it back a little old school with, the, with some kids' ministry. These are little g gods, okay? These were, not, these were not the God. It wasn't Yahweh. This was just little g gods that they had created to worship uh, because they thought that, that was the way it go, and, and they didn't want to worship Yahweh. And so they worshiped these little gods. And so this is the time that he's growing up in, right? This is the climate, the culture that he's in. And then here comes God. He calls him. He says, Abram, I want you to come worship the one true God, 
Yahweh, and then I'm going to make you Abraham, a father of a multitude. And then he begins to unravel in Genesis 12, all of these, all of these um, blessings and promises are going to come about in his life, that he was going to be made into a great na- a nation, that he was going to be blessed and protected, and that he, the generations after him were going to receive that blessing uh, beyond his, uh, his, his family line going throughout the lineage. And so he's going to, these are the promises that are going to come to him. And so here's the deal is that Abraham was at this moment, the scholar said, this moment of a crossroads, right? He had a decision to make, right? Does he keep going down the same path that he's been living, worshiping these false gods, doing what his father's always done and just living in the same family? Or does he follow God who gave this call to him, even though there's little information, even though there's not a whole lot there to see? And so at this moment, Abraham began to decide to walk after God, and he changed the things that were seen for the unseen. And he said, I'm going to place my faith and trust in God, and I'm going to follow him with the information that I got. But here's the deal is that as Abraham began to walk with God, as he began to be in these seasons of waiting, the promises took a long time, long time to come to fruition. It took 25 years for him and Sarah to conceive a son that God promised. And so Abraham has something for us to learn about how do we trust God in our waiting, right? How do we do that? What does that look like? And so here's what I want us to do is before we start asking how do we wait, how do we wait well, let's ask the question, why does God make us wait? Everybody say that with me. Why does God make us wait? I'm sure that's probably all crossed your mind in this room at one point or another. Why is there even wait in the world? Think about it this way. You're at a Whataburger, you know, a drive-through line with three other cars, and you're sitting there for that delicious Whataburger. Who's in here? Whataburger fans, raise your hand. Hey, man, my kind of people. You're sitting there, and you're waiting for your Whataburger with three other cars for what it feels like for eternity. And then you look to the person next to you in your car going, do I have to go butcher the cow? Do I have to go make the hamburger? Do I have to go fix it up? Why is this taking forever? It's just three cars, y'all. And then, oh, man, forbid that Chick-fil-A does not receive their blessing and it takes 10 extra seconds to get through the drive through line, right? And you're throwing a fit like, oh my gosh, like this is so slow. Or how about this one? Amazon Prime, you try to Amazon Prime next day something before Christmas, right? And then you're hoping it's going to come in before Christmas time. But then what does it say? It's not going to come till what? Till after the first of the year, right? So these are, these are things that we experience in our own life. They can be funny. We can giggle about it. We can have fun with it, you know, because we've all been there where you're in a drive through line. And you're like, goodness gracious, just hurry up already. What takes so long? But then waiting is serious. Waiting for a medical diagnosis. Waiting for a job interview. For them to call you back. You're constantly taking your phone out of your pocket, checking, checking your email, checking your phone call, checking your, checking your text messages. You're checking and checking. Waiting for a business deal to go through. You're waiting for some kind of direction in your life. You just got out of high school. You're, you're getting out of college. You're going into college. You're trying to figure out what is going on in my life. And God, you're not showing me. Or this, you've been crying out to God for a long time about a specific request, but man, it doesn't look like he's moving. Waiting can be difficult. Waiting can be hard. But I want to stop here for a second. I want to do a shameless plug. Is that okay? Is that okay? Everybody nod your head yes. Great. I was going to do it anyways. So here's the shameless plug. Is that I've talked with many families in our church. And many of them are going through crises. Many of them are going through uh, life circumstances that are difficult. And nine times out of ten... They'll say, as I was going through the waiting season, as I was going through the crisis, my connect group helped me get through that season. 
My connect group came alongside me. My connect group provided meals. My connect group came to my house and prayed for me. My connect group watched my kids. My connect group did this, X, Y, Z. You put it in and fill in the blank. And the reason why they were making it through was not just because of God alone, but also because of God's people. And so here's the deal is we keep priding ourselves about connect groups around here. It's because they're a great big deal around here. Because when you go through a crisis, which is coming at some point in your life, you have these people to walk alongside you in the waiting. And so here's the deal is a, a shameless plug. If, if you say, hey, I'm not in a connect group and you, you get done with this service, hey, you can go out these back doors to go see Gary, Skyler, anybody with this blue lanyard and say, I want to get in a connect group today. And they will help you get in a group. So you can begin doing life with people and not do this thing alone. But here's one thing that as I begin talking to these people and I'm hearing about what's going on in their lives and how they're waiting and these people are walking with them is that there's a common thread through all of these conversations and it's this one thing. And I heard this with a guy I talked to just this last Friday and he said this one thing. He said, in the waiting, it stinks. Let's all be honest. It stinks. But then in the midst of the waiting, there was something that God was trying to teach me. I didn't know it. But man, when I began to sit and I began to just really begin to reflect on my life, I saw that God was trying to change something in my heart, in my life, in my family, in my business, so that I could begin walking with him even more closely. So as we begin to look at waiting, why does God want us to wait? Well, here's the main idea, right? Here's the main idea I think we're going to see from Abraham and from the lives of people that I've talked to and is this, is that waiting is God's instrument for change. Waiting is God's instrument for change. It's an instrument, it is a catalyst to bring renewal in your life. That when you're too busy, when you are just constantly caught up in the fast-paced world, God puts you in a season of waiting so that that way he can bring a change and a renewal in your life, in your family, in your business, in your relationships, in your own personal life. And he's saying, slow down so you can see it, so you can address it. So I know we're talking about Abraham, so I want to put a pin in Abraham, okay? And I want us to travel over, and I want us to look at King David, and I want us to look at Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. And I'm going to read this to you just very quickly. And it says this, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a prayer I pray all the time in my life. God, search me, know me. Reveal the things in my life that don't need to be there. And this right here, folks, this right here, David shows us why God makes us wait. And in fact, he shows us five ways right here in these two verses of why we wait. And the first one is to be refreshed in his presence. Right, God puts us through seasons of waiting so that we will be refreshed by his presence. When we, instead of trying to isolate, we then begin to drive ourselves closer to God. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we're in our waiting, we begin to pull back, right? We pull back from our connect group. We pull back from our church. We pull back from our friendships. We pull back from everything. And we begin to isolate ourselves in homes. Why? Because we don't want people to see the ugliness on the inside. And what God's saying is saying, look, you come to me. Be refreshed by me. And David went through many waiting seasons, right? He knew that he was going to be king and wouldn't be king for a long time. He would have to wait until he would then be put into that position. And in those moments when he found himself struggling, he would put himself in the presence of God to be refreshed. Why? So then that way he then can begin to reflect. That's the second thing. So he's refreshing his, his soul and his, in the presence of God. And then he's taking time to reflect. That's why God uses waiting, to reflect on our own lives. 
right? To sit down and stop and think, okay, what is going on in my life? What is going on in my family? What's going on in my business? What's going on in my relationships? What needs to be addressed? And then you see David begin to invite God in. Know my heart. Test my heart. Reveal any anxious thought. Reveal uh, any way in me that's offensive so that I could be led on the way everlasting. So as he's sitting there refreshing himself in the presence of God, he's reflecting on his own life, and then he's inviting God in to reveal any of those hurts, weaknesses, or anxieties in the heart. Why? Then to do the next thing, which is to remove. So as you're refreshing yourself, you're reflecting on your life, you then are allowing God to reveal those things so that he then can begin to remove those areas of your hearts that are, that are broken, that need hurt, that need healing, to do the fifth thing, which is to renew. Right, so as you're refreshing yourself in the presence of God, you're reflecting upon your life, you then are letting God to reveal to you those things that need to be addressed, pulled out, so that he can remove them and then be renewed by him, to be renewed by his spirit, to replace those hurts with his presence, with his power, with his peace, with his comfort. Those are the five reasons why God puts us through seasons of waiting. And in my own life, I can attest how those things have played out in my own life. Back in 2021, I went through a season of counseling and began the process of trying to address things that were in my life. There was times that I didn't know why I was feeling the way that I was feeling, constantly going, why is this happening to me? I don't understand why this is happening. And after waiting and after waiting and after waiting and after waiting, I kept asking the question, why? And I went through counseling, I spent time with the Lord, and I began to change the question from why to what. And hear me loud and clear, you can ask the why question, right? God wants to come minister to your heart, and he wants, you, he wants to come meet you in that why. But then to help you begin to discover the what. What is God trying to teach me? What is God trying to reveal to me? What is the thing that in my life, in this waiting season, God's trying to address? And when I began to do that and began to ask God what, and then he began to reveal that, and then I began to help let him remove and bring renewal to my heart. And I'll tell you, that ain't a fun process, right? We could all sit in here all day long and go, oh yeah, I'll wait. And let me tell you, it's not a fun process, but the end is rewarding because what God does in our heart is a permanent thing. And he brings that renewal that needs to be done. Waiting is God's instrument for change. So with the why answered, now let's move into the how. How do we wait for God? How do we trust God in our waiting? And here's the first thing that we see Abraham shows us is that we are to wait, uh, wait in humility. We are to wait on God in humility. Look at verse 8. It says this. It says, uh, by faith, uh, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. Right, and so there you see him practicing and, and really exercising his faith in God, and it's this humble faith. Right, God was calling him out of what was known, what was familiar, what was comfortable, into the unfamiliar, into the uncomfortable, into the unknown, from the seen to the unseen, from darkness into light. Right, think back what we just talked about. This is a crossroads moment, a crossroads moment for, for Abraham. What is he going to do? And it says in Genesis, it says that he then did what the Lord told him to do. He began to follow after God. He did not lean on his own understanding. He didn't lean on his past experiences or perspective or, or what his past religion of his family was, but then he trusted in God. He put his faith and trust in God and began to walk with him in the waiting. And there will be times that he failed. 
There will be times that he tries to run ahead of God. But he continually comes back to God going, I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding, but I'm going to lean on what you are telling me is true. Second, he says we are to wait in, wait with patience. We are to wait with patience. You look at verse 9, it says this. By faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac, Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. Now, I know all of us in this room, we don't like the word patience. So go ahead and say it with me. Patience. Right? We love that word, right? That's the thing that you pray for, right? That's what you ask God for. And all of you are like, no, sir, that's not what I ask. Right? And so here we see him demonstrating patience in the waiting. It says that he was dwelling in the promised land, the land that he was to receive. He was sitting there with his feet on the ground, but yet it was not his. He was dwelling in tents with his family, meaning he would set up a tent, and as God called, he would pick up the tent, and then he would reset the tent all over again. Right, so he's going through this season that he knows just about enough information to make the step, and he doesn't really have a permanent residence, but yet he continues to to humble himself and patiently wait for God, even in the 25 years that God said, I will give you a son, I will give you a son. I know all the promises rest on Isaac being born. I'm going to give him to you. And 25 years, that finally comes true. In that waiting, he keeps patience. He patiently waits on God. I don't know about you, but this is something that I struggle with. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Right, I'm not the only one. We all struggle with patience. You know, a lot of times what I'm tempted to do is to treat God like a drive-through experience. We're all like, oh my gosh, where is he going with this? He, 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 we treat him like a drive-through experience. And really what we try to do is we say, hey, I want the dining experience at the speed of a Chick-fil-A drive-through. And here's what I mean by that. So you got the dining experience, right? You come in. You get, get, you get the host, the host and sits you down at the table. You begin to order your meal. You get to know your waiter and your waitress. You're taking in the environment. You're taking in the atmosphere. And you're taking time to get to know the people at your table. You're breaking bread with them. You're getting to know them. You're really taking this thing all in. You get to cherish every bite. You get to laugh. You get to talk. Man, you may be, may be there for an hour, hour and a half. It's a full course experience. But the, the drive-thru is a completely different experience, Right? It's more of a demanding experience. You drive up to the intercom, hey, I want a number one, number two, I want a large fry and a Dr. Pepper. And everybody said, amen, right? Because uh, Dr. Pepper is great, y'all. Uh, but you, you come up, you start demanding your orders. You're barking it over the intercom. And usually those intercoms are janky. So they don't understand you. So they start barking back at you and you keep going back and forth. And then you finally get your order. You drive up to the window. You take your credit card and you make your sacrifice for exchange for food right? And then you drive off only to scarf the food down and forgot you even ate it to begin with. And a lot of times what we try to do is we try to take the dining experience and we try to get it in the Chick-fil-A drive through line. And that's impossible because here's what God's saying. God says, hey, I want you to have the drive-in experience or the, the dine-in experience. I want you to sit a while. I want you to stay a while. I want you to break bread with me. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know my character. I want you to know who I, what I've done and what I'm capable of doing. I want you to have a full course experience. But yet time and time again, we say, I want the drive-through experience. Can you give me what, you, what we get in a dine-in, but at the speed of a drive-through, please? 
And then what happens is we're trying to figure out, okay, why can I not hear God? Why can I not see him moving as we're barking our orders over the intercom, trying to get this fast-paced blessing, this fast place, you know, promise. And we're saying, God, just speed it up, speed it up. And he's trying to talk to you and he's trying to do something, but you keep barking orders to him. And he's saying, look, I want you to know me more than the actual promises and blessings that I can give to you. Right? A lot of times we're always going, man, I, I want the promise, I want the blessing. God says, I want you. I want you to want me, not what I can provide for you. Which leads us to the next thing. That we are to wait with a proper perspective. We see Abraham waiting with a proper perspective. Look at verse 10. It says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Right, and so here you have Abraham with a proper perspective. He's waiting on God. He's trusting God in the waiting by having a proper perspective. But here, get this real quick, guys. Just hone in real quick. His perspective was not solely on the promises that God had given him, but on the giver of the promises. And so a lot of times what we try to do is we go, God, I want this. God, I want that. I'm willing to follow you if you can give me this. And God's going, I want you to want me. And you can see that in the text here. He's not just, it says that he was looking forward to the promises, but he was also looking forward to the architect, the designer that even provides those. And so a lot of times what happens in our waiting is we're looking for the object or for the situation to change. And God's going, I, I, look, I want to do something in that. Yes, but I want you to pay attention to me. I want you to walk with me. I want you to stay a while and take some time to know who I am to walk with me. And yes, you'll receive a, a promise, you'll receive a blessing in that, but that's not what it's all about. It's all about having the relationship with me, the author, the creator, the one that I put breath in your lungs. Sit with me a little while. Be patient, be humble. Have a proper perspective. And the last one is this, it says, and we are to wait and surrender. Abraham shows us we are to wait and surrender. Look at verses 17 to 19. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, Your offspring will be chased through Isaac. He considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. How crazy is that? Here's this man, he receives a call at 75 years, years old to leave everything he knows. His family is established, he's got this homestead and this nice family and they're just living his life and then God calls him out, gives him a little bit of information, says you're going to dwell in tents and it's going to take all this time to receive these promises and he finally receives his son after 25 years. 25 years. And God goes, you see that son there, Isaac? Yes, sir. The one that, that you promised? Yes. Yeah, I, I want you to take Isaac, and just like you always do when you go up on the mountain and you sacrifice that lamb for the sins of your family, I want you to take that same son, and I want you to take him up there, and I want you to provide him as a sacrifice. Your one and only son, the promised one. Really the one that all the promises rest on, because they can't carry on past Abraham unless he has Isaac. And so this is a big test moment for Abraham. Is he going to trust God, the one who can provide the promise, or is he going to trust the promise? 
And at this moment, he then begins to take his son, and the son's taking the wood, and they begin to make their way up the mountain. And multiple times, I could just see his son Isaac going, God, God, or Abraham, where, Father, where, where's, where's, the, where's the sacrifice? I mean, he had done this multiple times. Where's the lamb? Dad, you're missing the ingredients. You're missing the supplies. What are we? And he, I could just see Abraham going all the way up going, God's got it. God's, look, I've made some mistakes in my life. I've tried to run ahead of God. I try to run ahead and try to have a kid of my own. And God still blessed me with you. And so if he's willing to take that mistake and make it a part of his grand story, and, and he's done all of these things throughout my life, and he called me at 75 years old, even though I wasn't even looking to him, I trust him. And so we're going to go up and we're going to see what God can do. And so he takes Abraham all the way up there and he's about to sacrifice him. And right at that moment, the perfect moment, at God's perfect timing, he provides the sacrifice in place of Isaac. And you're wondering, okay, why in the world did you just share all that with me? I'm glad you asked. Because years later, a man by Jesus, name of Jesus, God in the flesh, came and dwelled among his people. He pointed people back to the Father through messages and miracles. He grew up, and as he got older, he knew there's a time that's coming. As he began to understand what was going on, there's, this, there's this, this time that was coming when he would die on the cross for all humanity because our sin demands a punishment, and that punishment is death. It's eternal separation from God. And so there came this moment where, where, Je where Jesus began to understand that he was the guy that was going to go to the cross and that his life would be nailed to the cross and that he would raise three days later. And so he makes his way through Jerusalem, People despise him and reject him, but he humbles himself. He patiently endures pain and suffering, but he keeps his perspective on the Father. We find him in the Garden of Gethsemane in one of the lowest points in his life, and he's crying out to God, please let this pass from me. But he says, not my will, but your will be done. And then he surrendered his life. He laid his own life down for you and for you and for you and for you and for me to provide the only means through which that we can have a relationship with God because it was by his death that he defeated sin and by his death that he defeated, uh, or, or by his death he defeated sin and then by his resurrection he defeated death. And that the only way that we can return to the Father, says in John 14, 6, is that it's through Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And because Jesus trusted God in his waiting and because he was humble and he had a proper perspective and he was willing to be patient and he surrendered his life, we now have new life. So imagine what happens when you begin to trust God in your waiting, the type of legacy you get to leave in your own life. And you see the lineage played out throughout Abraham and Isaac and what it begins to bring about. And you see that when, when we begin to walk in faith and, and the people behind us see that, it leaves a lasting legacy. And so here's what I want to do this morning is I want to provide an opportunity for you to receive, to, to step into this relationship that, that God wants to have with you. See, when Jesus came and he went through Jerusalem, he endured all that suffering, that pain, he did it for you. The reason why you're sitting here this morning is because God says that today is the day of salvation. He's already done everything he needs to do to accomplish bringing you back into the fold, bringing you back into fellowship with God. And, and it's so interesting that throughout history, from Genesis, from Romans to Hebrews, it said that 
because of Abraham's faith, it was counted to him as righteousness. And what that means is that because he was, his faith was in God, he was made right with God. And it wasn't anything that he did. And I know many of us probably walk in this room today and think that, man, I could be saved by the things I do. And I'm telling you right now, it's not what the Bible teaches. It's not a do hard message. It's not a try hard message. It's literally just be with me message. And that, what I mean by that is that God says, man, put your faith in me. And that's what makes you right with me. Not anything that you do. Anything you do comes out of the overflow because your faith is in me. And so I want to give you that opportunity so you can go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. And, and it may be you this morning, as you're sitting there, you can hear my voice. You're just saying, man, Cameron, I, <laughs> I thought I was walking with God. I've been trying to do a whole lot of things, thinking I can earn my way to heaven. But man, I just realized that what you said this morning, that it's only faith in Jesus that I'm saved. I need to make that decision. And so with every head bowed, every, every eye closed, I want to give you that invitation. In a minute, I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And if you want to be a part of that prayer to give your life to Jesus and begin walking with him today, coming out of the life of darkness, that old life into a new life in light, if that's you this morning, then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. So if that's you this morning, you say, hey, look, I've been trying to walk with Jesus and I thought I was doing it right, but man, I need to give my life to him this morning. I need to surrender to him. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand up, just saying, hey, Cameron, I want you to pray with me this morning as I give my life to Jesus. Just slip your hand right up in the air where I can see it. No one's looking around, okay? All right. Just say, hey, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I wanna be a part of this prayer you're about to do. All right, so if you raised your hand and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray real quick and, and this is just from your heart. This is just from your heart. There's nothing magical about these words. Father, I confess that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you. God, I give you my life. God, I turn my sin over to you. God, I believe that you died and rose again, that I may have new life. And so God, I receive this invitation. I give my life to you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we pray now for everybody in this room. We pray for ourselves, God, that we would be a people who trust you in the waiting. And so God, as we go through our seasons, God, would you help us? to be humble, to be patient, to have a proper perspective and to surrender our lives to you. For God, you can do great things and you've proven yourself time and time again of how you are with us in the waiting. We praise in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.